Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, the best podcast you know of. We're talking about chapter 94. Check out Philip with his new foot and daydreams that span beyond Mildred. It almost seemed in that final line like when he was daydreaming about, you know, going to uh, Asia and going around the world and this and that, that when Mildred chimed in with whatever it was that she said, it kind of like interrupted his daydream like those two things couldn't coexist Mildred had no place in this imagined future and just seems like the best thing for both of them doesn't it well best thing for Philip maybe maybe not the best thing for Mildred but I don't think I don't think Mildred even wants the best thing for Mildred you know like I think if Philip took her back and they became a couple, and he declared his love for her and proposed, then I think she would start to back out of it, you know? I think she just kind of wants him at the moment because he's playing hard to get. Sorry, there's um, extremely loud traffic outside my house because um, I live in Melbourne, Australia. It's just full of bogans. I don't know why they need to have their cars so loud like why is that a thing i remember when i lived in tokyo for a brief time mentioning how quiet the town was and i'd wake up and it would be 8 30 a.m and i'd be in tokyo in you know the one of the most densely populated mega cities in the world and i'd say how is it so quiet where's all the traffic and um yeah they they told me I can't remember who told me this, but someone over there told me that it was because it was sort of frowned upon to have a loud car. And also there was um, laws against sound pollution beyond a certain volume. So if you had a car as loud as the ones that just went past my house, that was illegal. But even beyond that, even within the legal limit of how loud your car was, the louder it was, like the less cool you were because it was less respectful. Um, and here in Australia, it's like the opposite. It's like the more obnoxious and annoying you can be, somehow that makes you better. I don't know. Anyway, I'm just ranting because the soundtrack of my life is loud cars going past my suburban house. You know, I'm not living in a racetrack. Um, anyway, I'm clearly in a good mood. (laughs) I'm actually not in a bad mood. Um, all right. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. Um, the discussion prompt. Philip, daydreaming beyond Mildred. Acoustic Eel said this. It really seems like she is insinuating this business relationship into a relationship, relationship, waiting for Philip to see, uh, wait, oh, waiting up for Philip to see if she can sex him up, calling his vacation a honeymoon, lying to everyone at the hotel about their marital status. It's another manipulative tactic for her personal gain. I'm surprised she's not more encouraging of Philip's foray into investment, since it means the chance of more money for Philip, and more money for Philip means more money for her. Maybe the new dress and the beach holiday will change her tune. Starfall15 said he wanted to go to the east, and his fancy was rich with pictures of Bangkok and Shanghai and the ports of Japan. This sounds like the author's other book, The Painted Veil. 
It is about a doctor who marries a self-involved shallow woman, seems a pattern in his writings, and goes to Hong Kong to practice there and help with the cholera outbreak. She starts an affair. Can Philip prove that he isn't financially responsible for the baby after all of this? Oh, Philip. Oh, he's so dumb. Can I just say that? I mean, I've said that many, many times by now, but... <sighs> props to the author. I don't, know, I don't know how much of this story is true, but props to him for, you know, bearing his soul. If any of Philip is a reflection of himself, you'd probably want to not advertise <laughs> these kinds of mistakes that you've made. Oh, dear. Okay, let's keep reading. Chapter 95. When they returned to London, Philip began his dressing in the surgical wards. He was not so much interested in surgery as in medicine, which a more empirical science offered greater scope to the imagination. The work was a little harder than the corresponding work on the medical side. There was a lecture from 9 till 10. When he went into the wards, there were the, there wounds had to be dressed, stitches taken out, bandages renewed. Philip prided himself a little on his skill in bandaging, and it amused him to wring a word of approval from a nurse. On certain afternoons in the week there were operations and he stood in the well of the theatre in a white jacket ready to hand the operating surgeon any instrument he wanted or to sponge the blood away so that he could see that he was about what he was about. On some rare operation when sorry when some rare operation was to be be performed, the theatre would fill up, but generally there were not more than half a dozen students present, and then the proceedings had a cosiness which Philip enjoyed. At that time, the world at large seemed to have a passion for appendicitis, and a good many cases came to the operating theatre for this complaint. The surgeon, for whom Philip dressed, was in friendly rivalry with a colleague as to which could remove an appendix in the shortest time and with the smallest incision. In due course, Philip was put on accident duty. The dressers took this in turn. It lasted three days, during which they lived in hospital and ate their meals on the common room. They had a room on the ground floor near the casualty ward with a bed that shut up during the day into a cupboard. The dresser on duty had to be at hand, day and night, to see to any casualty that came in. You were on the move all the time, and not more than an hour or two passed during the night without the clanging of the bell just above your head, which made you leap out of bed instinctively. Saturday night was, of course, the busiest time, and the closing of the public houses, the busiest hour. Men would be brought in by the police, dead drunk, and it would be necessary to administer a stomach pump. Women, rather the worse for liquor themselves, would come in with a wound on the head or a bleeding nose which their husbands had given them. Some would vow to have the law on him, and others, ashamed, would declare that it had been an accident. What the dresser could manage himself he did, but if there was anything important he sent for the house surgeon. He did this with care, since the house surgeon was not vastly pleased to be dragged down five flights of stairs for nothing. The cases ranged from a cut finger to a cut throat. Boys came in with hands mangled by some machine, men were brought in who had been knocked down by a cab, and children who had broken a limb while playing. Now and then attempted suicides were carried in by the police. Philip saw a ghastly, wild-eyed man with a great gash from ear to ear, and he was in the ward for weeks afterwards in charge of a constable. Silent, angry because he was alive and sullen, he made no secret of the fact that he would try to kill himself again as soon as he was released. 
The wards were crowded and the house surgeon was faced with a dilemma when patients were brought in by police. If they were sent onto the station and died there, disagreeable things were said in the papers, and it was very difficult sometimes to tell if a man was dying or drunk. Philip did not go to bed till he was tired out, so that he should not have the bother of getting up again in an hour, and he sat in the casualty ward, talking in the intervals of work with the night nurse. She was a grey-haired woman of masculine appearance, who had been night nurse in the casualty department for twenty years. She liked the work because she was her own mistress and had no sister to bother her. Her movements were slow, but she was immensely capable and she never failed in an emergency. The dressers, often inexperienced or nervous, found her a tower of strength. She had seen thousands of them and they made no impression on, upon her. She always called them Mr. Brown, and when they expostulated and told her their real name, she merely nodded and went on calling them Mr. Brown. It interested Philip to sit with her in the bare room, with its two horsehair chairs, couches, and the flaring gas, and listened to her. She had long ceased to look upon the people who came in as human beings. They were drunks, or broken arms, or cut throats. She took the vice and misery and cruelty of the world as a matter of course. She found nothing to praise or blame in human actions. She accepted. She had a certain grim humour. I remember one suicide, she said to Philip, who threw himself into the Thames. They fished him out and brought him here, and ten days later he developed typhoid fever from swallowing Thames water. Did he die? Yes, he did, all right. I could never make up my mind if it was suicide or not. There are funny lots suicides. I remember one who couldn't get any work to do, and his wife died, so he pawned his clothes and bought a revolver, but he made a mess of it. He only shot out an eye, and he got all... And he got all right. And then, if you please, with an eye gone and a piece of his face blown away, he came to the conclusion that the world wasn't such a bad place after all, and he lived happily ever afterwards. Thing is, a thing I've always noticed, people don't commit suicide for love, as you'd expect. That's just a fancy of novelists. They commit suicide because they haven't got any money. I wonder why that is. Suppose money's more important than love, suggested Philip. Money was, in any case, occupying Philip's thoughts a good deal just then. He discovered the little truth there was in the airy saying which himself had repeated that two could live as cheaply as one, and his expenses were beginning to worry him. Mildred was not a good manager, and it cost them as much to live as if they had eaten in restaurants. The child needed clothes, and Mildred boots, an umbrella, and other small things which it was impossible to, for her to do without. When they returned from Brighton, she had announced her intention of getting a job, but she took no definite steps, and present, presently a bad cold laid her up for a fortnight. When she was well, she answered one or two advertisements, but nothing came of it. Either she arrived too late, and the vacant place was filled, or the work was more than she felt strong enough to do. Once she got an offer, but the wages were only 14 shillings a week, and she thought that she was worth more than that. It's no good letting oneself be put upon, she remarked. People don't respect you if you let them yourself go too cheap. I don't think fourteen shillings is so bad, answered Philip, dryly. He would not help thinking how he could not help how thinking how useful it would be towards the expenses of the household, and Mildred was already beginning to hint that she did not get a place because she had not got a decent dress to interview employers in. He gave her the dress and she made one or two more attempts. But Philip came to the conclusion that they were not serious. She did not want to work. The only way he knew to make money was on the stock exchange, and he was very anxious to repeat the lucky experiment of the summer. But war had broken out in the Trus Transvaal, and nothing was doing in South Africans. 
McAllister told him that the Red Vizbulla would march into Pretoria in a month, and then everything would boom. The only thing was to wait patiently. What they wanted was a British reverse to knock things down a bit, and then it might be worthwhile buying. Philip began reading assiduously the city chat of his favourite newspaper. He was worried and irritable. Once or twice he spoke sharply to Mildred, and since she was neither tactful nor patient, she answered with temper, and they quarrelled. Philip always expressed his regret for what he had said, but Mildred had not a forgiving nature, and she would sulk for a couple of days. She got on his nerves in all sorts of ways, by the manner in which she ate, and by the untidiness which made her leave articles of clothing about their sitting-room. Philip was excited by the war, and devoured the papers morning and evening, but she took no interest in anything that happened. She had made the acquaintance of two or three people who lived in the street, and one of them had asked if she would like to curate the curate to call on her. She wore a wedding ring and called herself Mrs. Carey. On Philip's walls were two or three of the drawings which he had made in Paris, nudes, two of women and one of Miguel Adjira, standing very square on his feet with clenched fists. Philip kept them because they were the best things he had done, and they reminded him of happy days. Mildred had long looked at them with disfavour. I wish you'd take those drawings down, Philip, she said to him at last. Mrs. Foreman of number 13 came in yesterday afternoon, and I didn't know which way to look. I saw her staring at them. What's the matter with them? They are indecent, disgusting, that's what I call it, to have drawings of naked people about, and it isn't nice for Baby either. She's beginning to notice things now. How can you be so vulgar? Vulgar? Modest, I call it. I've never said anything, but do you think I like having to look at those naked people all day long? "'Have you no sense of humour at all, Mildred?' he asked, frigidly. "'I don't know what senses of humour has got to do with it. "'I've got a good mind to take them down myself. "'If you want to know what I think about them, I think they are disgusting. "'I don't want to know what you think about them, and I forbid you to touch them.' "'When Mildred was cross with him, she punished him through the baby. "'The little girl was as fond of Philip as he was of her, "'and it was great pleasure every morning to crawl into his room. "'She was getting on for two now, and could walk pretty well.' and be taken up into his bed. When Mildred stopped this, the poor child would cry bitterly. To, Mil to Philip's remonstrances, she replied, I don't want her to get into habits. And then, and if then he said anything more, she said, it's nothing to do with you, what I do with my child. To hear you talk, one would think you was her, to hear you talk, one would think you was her father. I'm her mother, and I ought to know what's good for her, oughtn't I? Philip was exasperated by Mildred's stupidity, but he was so indifferent to her now that it was only t at times she made him angry. He grew used to having her about. Christmas came, and with it, a couple of days' holiday for Philip. He brought some holly in and decorated the flat, and on Christmas Day he gave small presents to Mildred and the baby. There, was, there were only two of them, so they could not have a turkey, but Mildred roasted a chicken and boiled a Christmas pudding, which she had brought at the local grocer's. They stood themselves a bottle of wine. When they had dined, Philip sat in his armchair by the fire, smoking his pipe, and the unaccustomed wine had made him forget for a while the anxiety about money which was so constantly with him. He felt happy and comfortable. Presently Mildred came in to tell him that the baby wanted him to kiss her good night, and, with a smile, he went into Mildred's bedroom. Then, telling the child to go to sleep, he turned down the gas, and leaving the door open in case she cried, went back into the sitting room. "'Where are you going to sit?' he asked Mildred. "'You sit in your chair. I'm going to sit on the floor.' When he sat down, she settled herself in front of the fire and leaned against his knees. 
He could not help remembering that this was how they had sat together in her rooms at the Vauxhall Bridge Road, but the positions had been reversed. It was he who sat on the floor and leaned his head against her knee. How passionately he, he had loved her then. Now he felt for her a tenderness he had not known for a long time. He seemed still to feel twined round his neck, the baby's soft little arms. Are you comfy? he asked. She looked at him, gave a slight smile and nodded. They gazed into the fire dreamily, without speaking to one another. At last she turned round and stared at him curiously. Do you know that you haven't kissed me once since I came here? she said suddenly. Do you want me to? he smiled. I suppose you don't care for me in that way anymore. I am very fond of you. You're much fonder of baby. He did not answer, and she laid her cheek against his hand. You're not angry with me any more, she repeated. She asked presently, with her eyes cast down. Why on earth should I be? I've never cared for you as I do now. It's only since I passed through the fire that I've learnt to love you. It chilled Philip to hear her make use of the word, the sort of phrase she read in the penny novelettes which she devoured. Then he wondered whether what she said had any meaning for her. Perhaps she knew no other way to express her genuine feelings than the stilted language of the family herald. It seems so funny our living together like this. He did not reply for quite a long time and silence fell upon them again, but at last he spoke and seemed conscious of no interval. You mustn't be angry with me. One can't help these things. I remember that I thought you wicked and cruel because you did this, that and the other, but it was very silly of me. You didn't love me and it was absurd to blame you for that. I thought I could make you love me, but I know now that what, that was impossible. I don't know what it is that makes someone love you, but whatever it is, it's the only thing that matters, and if it isn't there, you won't create it by kindness or generosity or any of that sort of thing. I should have thought, if you loved me, really, you'd have loved me still. I should have thought so too. I remember how I used to think that it would last forever. I felt I would rather die than be without you, and I used to long for the time when you would be faded and wrinkled so that nobody cared for you any more and I should have you all to myself. She did not answer, and presently she got up and said she was going to bed. She gave a timid little smile. It's Christmas Day, Philip. Won't you kiss me good night? He gave a laugh, blushed slightly, and kissed her. She went to her bedroom, and he began to read. All right, there we go. Another chapter down. They kissed. Bloody hell, they've kissed. I hope that that's a one-off freak occurrence. <laughs> but I doubt it. Have your say on the subreddit. Thanks very much for listening, and I'll see ya tomorrow.